Good morning. Today is Monday, October 3rd, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. It is a wonderful day to gather around God's Word. At least here in Minnesota, the air has turned cool. Fall is among us. So thank you for listening. I hope you're keeping warm and cozy wherever you are. And whether you're listening over the air, online, through an app, or as a podcast, I'm just glad you're here. Settle in. Open your hearts and your minds. We're about to begin. First, as always, I want you to know that Thy Strong Word is underwritten by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Go check them out online at lhfmissions.org. And while you're online, why don't you shoot me an email? My email is pastorboo at gmail.com. Just say hello, ask a question, or give a comment about today's show. And on Friday, I'll begin the show by pulling from the old listener email bag. So be sure to tune in for that to see if your comments are featured. Well. Today, our topic is, again, 1 Corinthians, but we're in chapter 12. In our section for this morning, Paul is contrasting the church's former life of idolatry with its new life founded upon the Holy Spirit, empowered by God. As he turns the topic towards spiritual gifts, Paul emphasizes the many gifts to believers and how they should be used to serve one's neighbor. This whole section, since chapter 11 through pretty much the rest of the book, Paul is focusing on proper worship practices and the divine service and how one should express their faith through works. And joining my conversation today is the Reverend Joshua Frazee, Associate Pastor of St. John's Lutheran Church in Mayville, Wisconsin. Pastor Frazee, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Hi, thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about what ministry is like there in Mayville, Wisconsin. Maybe begin by telling us where Mayville is. All right. Well, Mayville is about an hour from Milwaukee uh, in the Wisconsin area, the the southeastern corner of of Wisconsin. And uh, worship at our church looks a little bit different than maybe some other churches. We have kind of a contemporary church. blended service on our Saturday night services at 5.30, and we have adult Bible class at 8 a.m. and uh, worship service at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, which is the directly divine service out of the hymnal, setting one, setting three, setting four. We've used all three of those. And then we have a Monday night kind of makeup service on Monday evenings uh, that is kind of an abbreviated, almost like chapel service that we have for those that had to work over the weekend or just weren't able to make it either Saturday night or Sunday morning. I bet there's plenty of uh, spiritual gifts in your congregation. God promises them in all of them. So before we dive into this text, would you start our time off together in prayer? Sure. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, today is the day that you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Father, we rejoice in this opportunity to dig into your word and through your Spirit, for you to teach us what you would have us to learn. Father, we thank you for the spiritual gifts that you gave, not only to your church, the early church, the miraculous gifts, but also that every believer has received gifts through your Spirit, who apportions them to each of us as he wills. Father, please bless this study, bless this time together, and and uh, 
We thank you that your word does not return empty, but accomplishes the purposes that you send it for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, brother. Okay. You know, our text is fairly short for today, just 11 verses, but it is chock full of uh, wisdom from the Lord. I think normally I would divide this up, but I'm going to read all 11 verses just to start off with, get them out on the table, so to speak, and then we'll dig in. And I might reread them after the break later on. So I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy Bible, chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Well, that's the end of verse 11. Heading back up to the top, you know, Paul is has just gotten done giving them directions toward or about the Lord's Supper, and he he changes the topic a little bit here in chapter 12 by saying, now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed, and he recalls back to when they were pagans. So, Pastor, start us off, you know, where is Paul, where has Paul been, and kind of where is he going here? All right, well, as you mentioned, he was just talking about the Lord's Supper, and when he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, it's kind of like him changing topics a little bit, as you as you mentioned. He's getting into a new topic, perhaps one that uh, someone had asked him about in a letter to him. And so now he wants to address this topic about what about these spiritual gifts? Some have these kind of gifts, some have other kind of gifts, you know, those kind of things. And so now he's saying, okay, now I'm going to cover this, this topic. Um, and it, it goes here because now we're talking to the redeemed. Uh, uh, yeah, Paul often starts out his letters talking about uh, that we are all sinners, we are all condemned uh, because of sin, uh, because of the fall into sin in Genesis chapter 3, to which hopefully most of our, our listeners are aware. And then uh, with that, we needed a Redeemer. Jesus came to be that Redeemer. And so he talks about that. And then toward the end of his letters, he starts getting into how do we live as ones redeemed by his son, Jesus. And so he talked about the Lord's Supper, and now he's talking about spiritual gifts. And that we all have spiritual gifts, but he will make distinctions, as we see, uh, in what kind of gifts there are. And and uh, some of those gifts are, are no longer available today like they were back then. And some of them are just as strong today as they were at that point. Yeah, there are a lot of things that the Corinthian Christians are 
really enamored with, things like power and influence and wealth. And in this case, it seems to be that, as you said, they, he, they must have written to him earlier and because we do know that they were writing him with these questions. We've, we've covered that when we've discussed some of the other questions he's, a, he's answering directly. But it appears that they also were very interested in spiritual gifts. And the, and the question really on our minds is, what is their motivation? Why do they want these spiritual gifts? He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. That leads me to the idea that maybe they were uninformed. They, were, they perhaps were interested in spiritual gifts for self-serving reasons. Uh, but he lays it out that there's a reason for those gifts, and we'll get to that later, but naturally the reason is for the common good. But he appeals to them being pagans when you are led astray to mute idols. So the mute idols, I think that's a fascinating way to describe it. You know, the Jews, and certainly Christians after them, would have considered idols to be ridiculous, senseless objects. These things had no power in and of their uh, themselves. But Paul still warned them about returning to them or honoring them, as we've seen throughout this letter. So, you know, it's interesting to me, and I don't know how you feel about it, Pastor, but it's interesting to me that they were so enamored with these spiritual gifts after having, a, you know, led, been led astray by mute idols. I, I don't know. Maybe they're seeking something more. Maybe they are looking at their faith and they're saying, well, I want to live out a faith that has power behind it because of their experience with idols, which were nothing. But then he points them back to Christ. Um, is that how you kind of see it? Or maybe there's some other insights. Yeah, you're building on the insight that I had. I, I will go ahead and say now, a lot of the information that I gathered was through Linsky. Uh, I, I find him a very good commentator to use uh, as, a, as a Lutheran pastor. Uh, and you're right along the right lines there. When he talks about the mute idols, they are ones that are not only mute, not only unable to speak, but they weren't even alive. Uh, the, those idols that they were following, as you said, they were just objects. And so it could very well be that they were looking at this new faith and these new gifts and thinking, boy, this is so much better than what I had before because the idols, I would pray to them and they would not answer me whatsoever. And now here is this power, these spiritual gifts, um, and so they, they might have even been asking the question, what do I use these for? Or things like that, you know, to, to kind of look at it in a, a positive direction. Um, but as you're absolutely right, we are saint and sinner. And they might very well have had that sinner reaction of thinking, oh, look at me. Look at what I can do now with this, this new power that God has given me and, and uh, having that pride along with it. Yeah, I like how you put that because th that does put a better construction on it. You know, when I tend to think of the Corinthians because of all the corrections and admonishments that they needed from Paul, corrections and admonishments we all need from time to time, so I certainly am not considering myself better off than them, but they tended to have the, not unique, but the uh, the particular sin of wanting to feel important. And so perhaps among them, there was this idea that the more important the spiritual gift, the more mature and spiritual the person, or that the evidence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life uh, was displayed by these gifts, which would be true. But then if you felt like your gift was better than the other person's, then suddenly you must be a, a better 
better Christian or more powerful or more important Christian. And, and you rightly bring into the conversation, though, that there also could be plenty of people who are saying, well, now I have all these gifts, but how do I use them? How do I use them? What, you know, can I use them to benefit myself? You know, and we, of course, know that the answer is going to be you use them to benefit your neighbor. But Paul appears in verse three to be pointing them to temper their pride, to temper their uh, feelings of superiority by reminding them just where those gifts come from. Absolutely. Yeah. And in verse three, he points them directly to Jesus. And that's, that is where we always want to turn is to Jesus. He reminds them that you know they used to be the ones to say Jesus is accursed uh, but through the power of the Spirit working that good faith in them, now they say Jesus is Lord uh, and uh, and that uh, they don't want to look down on those they left behind, those who are still following the pagan ways. And they also don't want to look down on their brothers and sisters uh, because they're all able to say Jesus is Lord through the Spirit. So it's kind of an equalization there that um, an equalizer that they either all don't have the Spirit or they either all do have the spirit, but in either case, should there be looking down? That's one of the things that, that a lot of people struggle with today is the desire to look down on others. It's, you know, we, we talked uh, as we were opening or preparing for this about uh, you know what I was doing this morning. And I had a, a class on the woke culture and the woke culture, the cultural Marxism definitely divides people and wants one group to look down on the other. And Paul is saying here, don't do that. Uh, don't even look down on those who are still following the pagan ways, but don't, especially don't look down on your brothers and sisters in Christ. None of you could say Jesus is Lord except in the Spirit. I think that's very key too, because oftentimes when we're out in the world and we feel that our faith is being tempted or we are, are feeling under strain or doubt starts to creep in, you know, I've had folks come to me, and I'm sure you have too, Pastor, where they've wondered about their salvation. They've wondered about the, the mm -hmm. firmness of their belief. And I often take them to this passage because it speaks a truth that is, I like how you put it, the great equalizer, that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, you know, Jesus is a curse. The, the word a curse there, we could look at it, you know, anathema, that he's He's uh, something that we should be uh, avoid. No, no one who is in the spirit of God will curse Jesus. Well, at the same time, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So a simple question is, do you believe in Jesus, that he's your Lord, that he's the son of God, that he lived, died, and rose again for you? And if you can answer that, then that didn't come from yourself, but rather from God. And, and so no matter what you're facing or struggling with, you know, remember that that belief is a gift. It's not something you had to conjure up. And I think it's fascinating how Paul is bringing up the very basics of belief in his introduction to a section on spiritual gifts. Because is that not the ultimate spiritual gift, the ability or the faith in, in, in putting your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ? That is a gift from God. You know, Jesus says, in John, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will witness about me. And so it's that spirit that we've been given, you know, from the Father, proceeding from the Father and the Son, that gives us the ability 
to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And that equalizer, right? So which Christians are more important than other Christians? And the answer is no one, because we all have our varying gifts, our faith and our varying gifts through the same spirit and Lord. Right. Yeah. And, and, and uh, what a blessing that is, that there's not a hierarchy that we have to worry about. What level am I on? Yeah. So in verse four, he says, there's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who pow- empowers them all in everyone, which is the same thing we've been talking about. This just beautiful message that the church in its diversity of spiritual gifts and abilities, whether the world considers them things that are valuable or not, we recognize them as beneficial to one another and a gift of God. How do we see these gifts? What are the what are the gifts, and how do we see them? You know, working out in uh, the church today. Oh boy, there's a variety of gifts. Uh, once again, kind of looking at Linsky, he gives kind of a breakdown of the gifts and the verses to come. But I'll, I'll go ahead and point out kind of the distinctions he came up with. There's like three different kinds, ones involving the intellect, ones involving faith, and ones involving the tongue. And he breaks that down even further to say that there's gifts of wisdom and knowledge, faith itself, healing, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. So there's a, a wide variety of gifts, and, and uh, the Spirit himself apportions them to each of us uh, as he wills. And some of these are still in use today. Some of them are ones that uh, the apostles used and we haven't really seen since, um, at least not in confirmed cases that that, uh, uh, I can think of. Uh, But, you know, the the Spirit gives us all these different gifts. Um, And as you said, you know, kind of already jumping the gun a little bit is that these are to be used to the benefit of others. And so... Uh, we give God thanks and praise that he gives us these gifts, whatever gifts he has given to each one of us individually, uh, that we can use those to the benefit of others and the upbuilding of others. Yeah, and not only that, but, you know, so when I was growing up, I grew up down south, and in some of the churches around me, including the church that my wife grew up in, which is the Pentecostal church, there was this heavy emphasis on spiritual gifts. And in those contexts, the spiritual gift was evidence that you had been baptized in the Holy Spirit, as if baptism in the water was something different than baptism by the Holy Spirit. So they saw that as basically two different levels of Christians. And so one should esteem for these spiritual gifts in general. And then they also had pretty much a ranking where the gift of so-called tongues was the highest of those gifts. And so that's the ones you should want. So what I've noticed, though, and especially in my wife's case, is that she reported to me later on, now we're adults, and she said, I never felt compelled to exercise any of these spiritual gifts. So the question is that as Paul talks about the variety of gifts, he appears to refer to them in reference to the community as a whole, that the gifts are present within Christians, but there is no indication here that Every single gift is going to be present in every single case. As you pointed out, some we don't see at all anymore. And he also doesn't stress that every single Christian is going to have some sort of notable spiritual gifts. That God, and I think that's why he begins with the basic gift that every Christian has, and that is faith in Christ. That's your salvific gift. That's what equalizes you among Christians. These extra gifts, aren't to be 
sought after, expected, uh, or even, you know, uh, coveted for sure, they are to be used when they're present for the service of others. And I think that makes a lot of sense even in today's context when Christians are looking to um, get more out of their faith beyond what God has promised them, ignoring, of course, that what God has promised us is amazing beyond measure. Yeah, yeah, God has, has promised us so much. Um, I've had brother pastors that have said, you know, if we just considered how rich we are, uh, we are eternally rich. You know, whatever someone does to us here and now, what does that compare to to, to the eternally rich? And no one can take that from us. As you said, the the the, the greatest gift that we have is the one of faith. Um, that because you you have either you have faith or you don't have faith. That's that's how that goes. Now you can mature in your faith, sure, but you either have faith or you don't have faith. And the fact that God has given given us and and created in us and sustains in us true faith in his son, Jesus, and that we know that we have life everlasting for his sake and on his merits, not on ours, but on his, and that no one can take that from us. What a wonderful thing that is. And that's a treasure that we can all hold on to, no matter whatever whatever other gifts we may have. Um, we can definitely be certain and thankful for that gift. Um, and even with that gift, the gift of faith, that one is also one that can be used for the building up of others. That's that's something that the the class that I just had for Bible class and 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 really all of my Bible classes I'm trying to encourage is the spreading of God's word that we can tell others about the faith that we have, especially in today's society where it's it's so biblically illiterate and and people um, doubt their worth, doubt um, who they are, all those kind of things. And, and uh, God comes in his word and he tells us he created us. Yes, we fell into sin, but he sent his son to redeem us. That redemption is available for all of us, no matter who we are, no matter what gender, what color, any of those kind of things. And he freely gives that to us. He freely gives us faith through his word. And and uh, and it, along with that faith then is you know not only forgiveness of sins, but the, the gift of everlasting life, which is eternal riches. Uh, and again, no one can take that from us. So we definitely treasure faith. Even if we have none of the other gifts, we definitely treasure faith. And then what a blessing it is if we do have a, an additional gift or two beyond just the faith. Absolutely. And, you know, and everything that God gives us is to be put into service for others. That is a, a problem that everybody faces across time and space. We all want to serve ourselves, the God of ourself. And yet God has called us into this new life so that we can be a blessing to other Christians. And, of course, even those outside the household of faith, but first to the household of faith, as Paul would say. Right. Well, well, brother, we are right here against a break. So we're going to take just a few moments to hear from our sponsor. But when we return, dear listener, don't go anywhere, because in a few moments, Pastor Frazee and I will continue our discussion of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll see you on the other side. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books, 
translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and with me today is the Reverend Joshua Frazee, Associate Pastor at St. John's Lutheran Church in Mayville, Wisconsin. Pastor, before the break, we were talking in generalities about how these different spiritual gifts, being from the same Lord, the same Holy Spirit, are equalizing among Christians, that the, that the basic gift of all Christians is the gift of faith, and that these additional gifts these gifts of service, perhaps, uh, these gifts of being able to participate and be knowledgeable about different activities are all for the benefit of the common good. Verse 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. These things aren't to build ourselves up, but rather to serve our neighbor. In Corinth, it was a very different world than it is today, but maybe not so different. But in Corinth, in the, in the Greek world, there were some people who would have been considered, you know, especially close to the gods, the various gods and deities. And you could tell these people because they'd be called, you know, oracles, people who would deliver divine wisdom. Or they would just be bizarre behaving people that someone said, oh, well, they must be behaving so bizarrely or unusually because they have this closeness to the god. Perhaps they went into trances or ecstatic speech, or other types of things. In fact, during this time, someone with epilepsy would have been said to have had a divine disease. They saw these things as trances where the gods were attempting to communicate with them. Um, the religious centers would be filled with oracles who had taken or had been given drugs so that they could you know, have these divine utterances and these strange prophetic visions and dreams. Um, the oracle at Delphi, in one place I read, said that in the early days of Greece, he would breathe volcanic fumes from a cleft in the rock on the temple floor, and uh, the unconscious mutterings would then be interpreted by the priests. So it's not surprising if this is the cultural perspective, if this is what's going on around these Christians, and they have come from the mute idols of their pagan worship, and now they're living and serving the one true God, you know, they might have expectations that, well, we want these gifts. We want these spiritual manifestations so that we can, A, show people that our God is real, and B, maybe feel a little important in front of those Christians who don't have those things. So that's the background about what's going on. But then Paul again, equalize it. I like that word that you use. That's why I keep coming back to it. He equalizes it and then says in verse 8, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, another faith by the same Spirit, another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish spirits, uh, various kinds of tongues, the interpretation of tongues, and then he concludes this whole section by emphasizing that these are all empowered by the one and same Spirit. So he acknowledges that there are spiritual gifts, maybe not like those of the bizarre pagan world, but there are spiritual gifts. 
but they aren't self-serving. They serve their neighbor, but most importantly, they all come from the power of the one true God. So getting back to today, though, let's look at these different gifts, Pastor, if you would with me. The first is wisdom and then the utterance of knowledge. Now, we all know wisdom and knowledge are different things, but you know, how do we see that working out in the world today? You mentioned earlier the, the woke movement in this country, neo-Marxism and other things, and a lot of that is claiming wisdom and knowledge over and against what, well, what society has always sort of known and believed. So I know that there are some conflicts here with the Christians today. How do you see that playing out? Sure. Well, and uh, just for another reference to history, you also had that in Jesus' day and shortly after Jesus' day, well, especially after Jesus, maybe not during Jesus, but the idea of the Gnosticism. The Gnostics claimed to have secret knowledge and tried to even to lead away disciples from the apostles by claiming to have the secret knowledge. And uh, the same thing is going on today. People are vying for attention, claiming to have knowledge that no one else has. Uh, with the Marxism move- movement or or whatever movement you want to talk about. Um, but when it comes to the breakdown of wisdom and knowledge, I'm actually teaching a religion class at St. John's about this very topic. And the way that the book that we use talks about wisdom and knowledge, and it kind of goes along with what Linsky says, but I'll, I'll start with the book. The book says the wisdom is from God. It, it's knowing him, knowing his will, those kind of things. And the knowledge is... Uh, facts that we learn and, and and data that we gather. And so a person can, can can gather knowledge and data and never ever come to true wisdom because they don't know God. Whereas the one who has wisdom learns also how to use knowledge to, to, to benefit others. And so that's kind of where Linsky would get into that. He says, wisdom is the ability to understand doctrine. Knowledge is the ability to explain it to others. So it really goes well when the two go together because the one can have the wisdom to understand doctrines that we have in the scriptures. And then if they also have the ability to explain it to others so that others can learn that as well, that is a great thing. And so the only true source of knowledge, as we also learn in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Only in God do we truly have wisdom. And then we also then have the knowledge then to to gather data and to be able to explain things to others in ways that they can understand um, and uh, to explain wisdom to them in ways that they can understand sometimes through that same spirit. Yeah, you know, the the illustration that I always favor when we talk about wisdom and knowledge, and it's, it's a joke uh, mostly, but it says, you know, knowledge is knowing that tomatoes are a fruit. And wisdom is knowing not to put them in a fruit salad, right? So right. wisdom is the application, the proper application of knowledge. Exactly. And the world loves its knowledge. They, you know, we know so many things. And the things we don't know, we have ready access to right in the palm of our hands with these devices that give us the entire, well, the access to the entire knowledge of the world. But putting those things into practice applying them is so, so difficult. And both are described as gifts. So to have knowledge of even the things of God, as is indicated here, is is wonderful. And that's part of being in a church. But how often do we've had, have we had people who they know a lot about the Bible, they know a lot of the words of the Bible, but the ability to interpret those words, the ability to put them into practice, or to teach others, as you pointed out, which are gifts of the of wisdom that may have been lacking. 
And so in a community of believers, you might have people who have wisdom and some people who have knowledge, and it's all about working together. But knowledge we are not in short supply of today, especially with the internet. Um, But wisdom is something that's always been pretty scarce. Yeah, I mean, even with the, the the phrase that people like to toss around, less so now, but you know, years back, you always used to talk about common sense. Well, sense is having wisdom, and as I mentioned earlier, our society has unfortunately become more and more biblically illiterate. So, yeah, sense would not be common because where do we get wisdom? Well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah, and so if in the Corinthian context, then they think of wisdom as you know, these, this special revelation from God or even the knowledge, as you pointed out, the Gnostics, the secret knowledge that only those who are closest to God, who have done the right things, have access to. But no, both knowledge and wisdom are freely given by God through his apostles, through the prophets, through Moses and through the law, and all these things add up to Jesus. And these things aren't a secret. In fact, it's our job to make sure we go out and take the knowledge that's been given to us use the wisdom that we have as a gift from God and to tell everybody we can. Amen. Um, This idea of secret knowledge, I think is funny. Anyway, I was online and someone very critical of the church was talking about how, Oh, pastors would be in trouble if people actually read their Bibles. I'm not exactly sure what they were trying to get at. Maybe they were talking about some of these false prosperity preachers or something, but I found it amusing anyway, since I spend a great deal of my time, urging, begging people to read their Bibles. So if it was really a threat to me, I, I don't think I would be doing that. But instead, I see it as my as my God-given vocation to encourage people to be in the Word. This isn't about secret knowledge. It's about revealed knowledge, and it's revealed by the Holy Spirit. Amen. But in the same, But in the same way, you know, I don't know if this has happened to you, and I know it happens to doctors and, you know, dentists and and uh, lawyers probably too, but people go online and they get all this type of advice, all this knowledge from everywhere that they can collect it, but they don't know how to apply it. So they end up in their doctor's office saying, oh, I'm pretty sure I have this, this, and this, and doctors get frustrated because, you know, they may have the access to the same amounts of knowledge, but they don't have the wisdom to apply it as a doctor. And pastors find this too, you know, we've dedicated a good portion of our life to being able to apply the same information you have freely act free access to. And this just demonstrates yet another of the varieties of gifts in the congregation. You know, I'm, there may even be parishioners who are, are more knowledgeable about, you know, specific references in the Bible. Um, and, but you combine that with someone else's ability to interpret and apply those things and the pastor's vocation to tie it all together. And, and I think that's how Paul is envisioning the Christian church working. Mm-hmm. I would agree. The next, the next gifts that he listens, lists here um, is faith, which we've talked about. But then another one is the gifts of healing. Again, he points the Spirit as the source, but gifts of healing. Now, that's one. Do we see that as often today? What do you think? I don't know. Um, I know that's the, the you know, big seminary answer to say I don't know. But I honestly, from my own experience, don't know. I've never seen... Uh, an occasion where somebody claimed to have done a healing, to have seen it myself, to and even if I I was there, I don't know if I would have been able to tell uh, uh, if it was legitimate or not, and things like that. Only God knows, you know, if it's really happening today. We do have examples of it happening, but in the scriptures, 
you know, Paul uh, healed some that were around him. When you have Peter, uh, and who was the one with him? Was it John? Uh, walking through the streets in the book of Acts, and they come across the, the man who had been lame, and they both look at, at, at the, the man, and the Spirit works through them to heal him. And so that right there is, is we know from the God's word, which is the truth, that that is a, a healing that took place that got allowed to happen at that time. So we know for sure that that one is. But some of these things that happen today, we don't have divine revelation to tell us, yes, that was a divine healing or no, it wasn't. And so it's kind of that, that seminary answer, I don't know. Right. You know, and I think that makes a lot of sense when you go out and you see what appears to be a miraculous healing. I think the one good thing for us to remember is that let's say someone presents with cancer and they say, well, I've gone to my doctor and he says there's nothing they can do. And then the next week they go back to the same doctor, they do the same tests and all the cancer is gone. Is that a miracle? You know, well, it seems like it would have been. Um, Perhaps it can be explained in a variety of different ways, but then that person walks away giving thanks to God for their healing. In another scenario, a person goes to their doctor and they say, I've been, I've been diagnosed with this cancer. And the doctor says, well, here's the treatment that we have available. And they go through the treatment. And at the end of the cycle of treatment, their cancer is in remission and they are then eventually cancer free. They're healed of their cancer. Then they walk away giving thanks to God, right? In both cases, God is at work. So even if the first is an outright, you know, touching the hem of my cloth or touching, you know, the spirit. Uh, working as the shadow passes by, you know, the apostles, even if it's even if it's a bona fide miracle in that manner, or whether it's through the means that God has established to help us through things like medicine and uh, all those different vocations that he's given us to help bear the curse, then God still gets the thanks. So yep. in that time and place, you know, miracles serve the extra purpose of validating the message of the apostles you know, that, that what they were proclaiming was true and indeed from God. Right. In this day, you know, perhaps that's not as necessary. Or, or maybe it happens, but it happens in places uh, outside of the context from you and me. There's so much access to God's Word in our lives, but there are certainly places that, that God's Word is limited, and maybe miracles are still happening to help bona fide that message. But regardless, I think the thing to remember is whether you are— miraculously healed, for instance, or whether the healing happens through normal means, you still get to thank God for the blessings that he's given you through that. Or even if he chooses not to heal you, you still get to thank God. And and, and that's about trusting in his, his divine wisdom. Yeah, yeah. Whenever there's healing or even when healing does not occur, we know that God has promised through his word in Romans, he works all things together for good uh, for those who believe in him. And so, you know, whatever happens, if he heals us, God be praised. If he doesn't heal us, forgive us the the, the things that we need to continue in, uh, for, for however long it is, God be praised. Even if we should die, well, God be praised. Now we're in heaven. So, you know, in, in, any, in any case that happens, God is with us as he has promised to be. We, no one can take that eternal treasure of heaven from us, uh, which again is, is such a wonderful thing that no one can take that from us. And so uh, God to God always be the praise. You know, in our day and time, when we see this word healing, we typically, and I think rightfully so, think about physical healing. 
But in the Corinthian context and in the scriptures, you know, this also referred or could refer to a spiritual healing, spiritual restoration. So this might not seem so separated as we do today. We, we so often separate in a very Gnostic way, as you brought up earlier, you know, the flesh from the spirit as if they were diametrically opposed to one another as opposed to being, you know, two parts of God's, you know, design. But in that day, the ancient world, spiritual sickness and uh, physical sickness were interconnected so that if someone was physically sick, they would also you would also think that maybe they were sick because of some spiritual defect or maybe God was uh, causing this them to be sick or some other supernatural being, et cetera, et cetera. So the word that was used here is, has been used to also talk about healing in a spiritual sense. So this gifts of healing could not just be the idea of, well, I'm going to go to the children's ward and just lay my hands on their foreheads and they all become healed. It could also refer to the gift in the church whereby we might call it reconciliation, whereby people are brought back to faith or they're brought back to a healthy relationship with other Christians or, of course, that ultimate relationship with God. And so even then, of course, it's the Holy Spirit who has the power behind it. But I just think that's another way to look at gifts of healing. It's not could not just be about going off and and, you know, curing people's cancer. I think it's better for us to look at this in a more holistic way. And if we do that, then I think it's a lot easier to see that this gift continues to happen in the church. I hope it, hopefully it happens every Sunday. Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say right on with with you know not only talking about physical healing, but even the healing of reconciliation, that is such a great thing. And once again, to God be the praise. You know, when the person walks away after being healed from cancer, they they praise God. And Lord willing, when two brothers or a brother and sister or two sisters are brought back together through reconciliation, Lord willing, they go and, and say thank you to God for that as well. He It's then after that he moves on to a very generic way of talking about these gifts in the working of miracles, right? To one, they receive the working of miracles. So when we talk about miracles, I, I think, and that's where, that's at the heart of what we're discussing. That is, do miracles still happen today? And you said, well, we can't, we don't, you know, we have the benefit of divine scripture to know that something's a miracle because the Holy Spirit points it out. You know, a big sign says, this is a miracle. So we believe that, right? The Holy Spirit's told us that's a miracle. In this day and age, in the day of our skeptical uh, way of thinking, you know, we all have a hermeneutic of suspicion on anything we encounter. I think we're so much more reluctant to see miracles. And it makes me wonder, is it because miracles do not happen as often or does it have or, or is it or is it because we're just so eager to dismiss them, to give them natural explanations or even when there is no explanation altogether, we just say, well, there must be a natural explanation. Um, perhaps miracles are as prevalent as they always have been, but we just we just don't really look for them anymore. Could be any one of those things. You know, we could try to dismiss them and say, oh, there's some kind of, of reasoning, scientific explanation for that, and just take it up. Oh, that's the way I'm going to view it. Um, but other people are absolutely open to the idea that miracles do take place, and, and uh, they may call something that's a miracle, uh, even if there is a scientific explanation. Um, once again, talking about healings and things like that, 
but I think there is a kind of miracle that as you, as you were kind of uh, alluding to earlier, or maybe I'm, I'm coming at it from a different perspective, but uh, once we overlook, and I, I constantly try to bring this up in my Bible classes and things, is that we see miracles on somewhat of a regular basis here at St. John's and at, at previous congregations that I've served, is that um, when you see a baptism, that is a miracle. That child or that adult is brought into the kingdom of God uh, through the washing of holy baptism with just regular water, but combined with God's word. That's a miracle. I mean, it's not one like, you know, walking through the Red Sea, you know, the Red Sea parted and you literally physically walk through the Red Sea, but you're literally physically having that child or that adult have water poured on them and the word is being applied. And even though we can't see it because there's not like any kind of like physical way of seeing it. We recognize, hey, that child or that adult is being brought into God's kingdom, and that's absolutely a miracle. Or the Lord's Supper, when our brothers and sisters receive Christ's forgiveness, the forgiveness earned 2,000 years ago applied today to that person, that's a miracle. We don't deserve that, and yet God gives it to us anyway. And once again, it's not like a a miracle like the parting of the Red Sea, but I, I would still call that a miracle. That's absolutely God working in our lifetimes. Um Maybe not in the way that we would think about being a miracle, but I would still call it a miracle. Right. It really boils down to how you define a miracle. You know, in a more broad sense, anything that God does is miraculous, even if it's uh, within the bounds of how he's designed things. So, for instance, a baptism is miraculous because it does something the world would not expect, something the world cannot do and no one else can do but God, and that is to bring someone into the faith. Of course, at the same time, you know, it is the means through which he's designed it. So in that way, you know, the miracle uh, isn't negated at all. It just becomes, I think, less observable to us. And so I love that you bring out that, yeah, look at this. If you want to see God's activity in this world in ways that are beyond our understanding, you see it every time we gather in, in the Lord's Supper. You see it every time we have a baptism. And, and I would argue you see it every time... Uh, Christians are reconciled to one another, that that one sinner repents. You know, the, the angels in heaven aren't rejoicing because uh, it's not miraculous. They're they're rejoicing because it's a display of God's mighty power. Definitely. So yeah, yeah we, we see miracles all the time. In uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, he begins by saying, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, I said earlier that they shouldn't covet these gifts, and they certainly shouldn't pursue them or seek them out so that they can be better than another, but he does want them to desire these spiritual gifts for serving one another, but he says especially that you may prophesy. Well, back here in chapter 12, right after miracles, he says to another prophecy, prophecy as one of the gifts. Now, Pastor, that prophecy doesn't mean that they are uh you know, just being able to see into the future. There's there's more to biblical prophecy than that. Uh, you know, how does the prophecy that we do today connect to the prophecy of, say, the prophets of the Old Testament? How is that that gift, that ability, uh, continuing? Sure. Well, as you pointed out, there is a distinction between Old Testament and New Testament, which we are still part of the New Testament church even today. Um, the distinction is is that in the Old Testament, they would prophesy in two ways. Uh, at least two ways, one of which being that they could tell things that were going to happen in the future. 
um, by God's uh, gift of revelation that way. But then also they spoke God's word. And so one of the ways that continues to this day in the New Testament church is to speak God's word, to confess God's word, to, to tell others what God has told us. Um, and I think that we all have that ability, uh, but it may be that God gives some of us an even a greater amount of that to where we might say that they have received that spiritual gift of prophecy. When we talk about the gifts of being able, prophets essentially all they did was speak on behalf of God. That was their function. God would give them a message. They would deliver the message. As you pointed out, sometimes that message involved predicting the future. And sometimes that message was much more you know, immediate, a word of encouragement, a word of law, calling people to repentance. But in both cases, or all cases, it was from God. And the prophets whose prophecies either did not come true if they involved the future or they did not come to fruition, then those were considered false prophets. And that's pretty much the Old Testament litmus test on whether a person is a true prophet. And that is, you know, is he speaking on behalf of the one true God? Okay, well, is his, are his prophecies true? And if they're not, then he's not a true prophet. In this day and age, that spirit of prophecy continues in the act of, again, doing the same thing that they did, speaking the words of God. But God no longer comes to us through visions or through dreams or through all the various ways he came to the prophets of old. He speaks to us today in these last days through his, through his son, through the Holy Scriptures. So whenever a pastor gets up there and proclaims the word of God or whether you share the gospel of God with your neighbor, that's speaking, that's prophesying as long as you are being true. That is sticking to the words that God has given us to use. We have to acknowledge that some people have these gifts. That is, they're, they're just, they have a better ability to communicate that message. And I think that's the gift that he would be referring to here. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that's what I was getting at earlier is that right. everybody has the ability, but then some probably are given a greater extent. And, and, it, and then we could definitely say, yeah, they've got the spiritual gift for that. But you could also see how someone who has this gift of prophecy or this ability to communicate, influence others, might misuse it. And I think that's where this next section in comes in, because then there's the gift of the ability to distinguish between spirits. Now, the way I see this and what I've read is that this ability to distinguish between spirits refers to, is this prophecy, uh, this speaking of you know, supposedly the word of God, does it come from the one spirit, the one true spirit, God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, or does it come from an evil spirit? And sometimes it's hard to tell, especially if someone's very eloquent or they're, you know, very good. Paul would say, you know, if they were an excellent rhetorician, someone who could speak eloquently with words of human wisdom, you know, he would want people to be able to have the ability to distinguish between those who are just, you know, really good communicators and those who are telling the truth. Uh, is that how you see it, or do you see some other elements to it? I think I would see it along those lines. Uh, I've not done a whole lot of research on this particular aspect, uh, but I, I can see what you're talking about. And uh, something to keep in mind, too, is that the Bible that we have today, you know, we're reading from 1 Corinthians, they were living this. And so they didn't have the whole New Testament to look at and to say, okay, is this going along with what God has said or not? They were living it. They were hearing from Paul and they were hearing from others at the same time. 
And so they had to be able to discern whether what was being said was of, of, of God or not. The good thing for us today is that we have God's word. And so Paul says uh, in another place, test everything and stick to what is good. Um, and one thing to do with that is to test what people have to say. Uh, and when we hear others speak, do what they say, align with the scriptures. If so, you know that, that's a good thing. And if, But if they're saying something that is completely against or opposed to what scripture says, uh, then we would discern that, that, that uh, that's not what we need to know. Um, and so I don't know, this is another one that is kind of a, a tricky one to know whether there's as much discerning of spirits today, because we do have God's word in its fullness. Um, and so we can look and see, okay, is what this pastor or this uh, TV evangelist or whoever is saying, does it line up with God's word or not, um, that we can discern from it that way, because we've got the scriptures with us today to discern those things. If I hear you correctly, the ability to distinguish between spirits would have been, I want to say more useful, but it definitely would have been more required back in their day when they didn't have the clear testimony of the New Testament that at that point. I mean, they still had the Old Testament as the scriptures, and certainly everything was to be uh, measured against the truth that it spoke. But even in that context, it's not like they were all carrying around the Bible in their pockets uh, as we can do today. So this uh, this necess the necessity of having a gift that that distinguishes between spirits would have been more important then, um, although it certainly continues to be important today. Am I hearing you correctly? Because that's what I heard. Yeah. It sounds great. We recognize, and I don't know how often you go through this in the show, but um, as you said, they didn't have Bibles in their pockets. Writing was very expensive. It wasn't until the 1500s with Luther uh, and the Gutenberg printing press that things really kind of took off for more people to have full Bibles available to them. And so they were listening to Paul and the apostles and they had to remember what was being said, which they had a easier ability to do that because it was an oral society. Um, but yeah, they didn't have their Bibles in the pockets because that didn't come for another 500 years. Mm, wow. Yeah, that's true. We have to remember that. And I think we forget that, don't we? And we forget that they don't have access to the same uh, scriptures that we even do. And not that the scriptures have changed, but as you said, they're living it out as we're just receiving it as a revelation. Yeah, definitely good to keep in mind. Well, just a couple more, actually just one more, well, two more, because it says to the ability to distinguish between spirits, which we've covered, and then to another various kinds of tongues and to another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, we're going to cover this in greater detail for those of you who are interested when we gather together around chapter 14. But just to whet our appetite, Pastor, uh, what's he talking about here with tongues and the interpretation of tongues? All right. Tongues is being able to speak other languages. And uh, this this is being used in speaking other languages. Again, we see this with the apostles at, the, at Pentecost. The Spirit comes upon them and they're able to speak uh, miraculously other languages that they had not studied before <clears throat> and things like that. And so you have miraculous tongues, but then you also have you know, the ability to learn another language which absolutely still takes place today. <clears throat> Seminary students are required to learn Greek and Hebrew, at least the, the first career guys, the second career guys, maybe just the, the Greek. <clears throat> but uh, so there's that need for learning other languages. Um, and that's, that's through uh, the discipline of education rather than a, a miraculous event, but both can be used 
to the benefit and, and edification of others. Um, but then also needed with that is the interpretation of tongues. If you're speaking a tongue that others don't understand, how does that build them up? And so there needs to be the interpretation and, and uh, the uh, translation of the tongue uh, otherwise, it does no one else any good. Well, we are here in the last few minutes of our program, brother. Uh, verse 11, just to re- bring it to your attention, it says, All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Right? God's still in control. Ultimately, I believe that's the message that Paul's trying to get here. This, the gifts should be used in service to your neighbor, and even the gifts you have are not things to take pride in, but to things to uh, to use to the glory of God and for the benefit of all. In the last few minutes we have of our program, I'd like to invite you, Pastor, to share with our listeners uh, a bit of gospel and maybe something that they can then pass along to their neighbors. Sure, yeah. We've been doing a lot of talking about this text, which is a law text that's how we live as one's redeemed by Jesus, but it's always good to be reminded how we are redeemed. Again, with Genesis chapter 3, we fall into sin. It's the worst chapter in human history, literally. But then we have that wonderful promise, and it's actually given to the serpent. The son is going to crush your head. The seed of the woman is going to come. And one of the seed that's going to come from the woman is going to come and crush your head, and you're going to strike his heel. The the striking of the heel is the the crucifixion on the cross. All that Jesus suffered for our sake, he he didn't deserve any of it. We deserved all of it. But he took that upon himself, and he said from the cross, it is finished. It is finished is an accounting term that means everything is is accounted for. The, the credits and the debits, they line up, they balance out. Everything is taken care of. Every sin of every human being of all of time has been paid for in Christ's death, <coughs> death on the cross and by his resurrection. And so as that is applied to us, that 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 gospel that Jesus has died and risen for each of us is applied to us. And we believe it. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have life everlasting for his sake. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to do any deeds or, or any of those kind of things. It's nothing that we've done. It's all thanks to Jesus and all given freely by God for Jesus sake. So we don't deserve it. We don't have to pay for it. It's all free. And what a wonderful gospel that is. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Joshua Frazee, Associate Pastor at St. John's Lutheran Church in Mayville, Wisconsin. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show. Thank you. And thank you, too, dear listener, for tuning in to Thy Strong Word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Tune in tomorrow as we continue in 1 Corinthians with the second half of chapter 12. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.